You are listening to Wait a Minute with Beth and Jessica, episode 23. I'm Jessica Pearson, body image and weight loss coach. And I'm Beth Barnett-Babel, integrative nutrition therapist. So before we get started today, we wanted to let you know that moving forward, we're going to start releasing every other week instead of every week. So we are committed to providing you with quality content as well as prioritizing our client work, our business and personal lives. And since we want to practice what we preach, we feel like it is in our best interest to release episodes every other week. So that way we can bring you good stuff, but not try to wear ourselves out doing so. Today, we're talking about numbers. We briefly discussed them in the metabolically healthy episode, and we're diving into some specifics today. These specifics are important to anti-diet culture because we know that often our society, even our medical providers can be weight or BMI focused. And in order to turn that around, we all need to know these numbers so that we can ask the right questions. Being an advocate for your own health requires that you make a point in knowing some information about your own body. This way, you can be more confident in seeking a path that is right for you. We've said it before and we will keep saying this, which is your weight or BMI is not the sole indicator of your health, nor does it need to be the primary indicator. The more numbers that we know and can understand, the better picture we have of our health. So let's talk about some of the most common and helpful labs that you can get either from your doctor or from us. Beth, what is that first lab that you like to look at? Yeah, so first, just want to say when people get their yearly labs run often in the traditional medical setting, if the numbers fall within the reference range, everything is fine. So you probably won't even hear back from your doctor. They'll just write, everything's good. And you're like, are they? So even if you were right on the edge of your lab value going to a high or low clinical value, they will still say, looks good. And so the those reference ranges can actually be quite large from the high to the low, and you can actually be feeling the effects in your body that something is off and it would still be considered normal. In a more functional or integrative medicine approach, we like to look at a narrower, narrower, <laughs> a more narrow, the more, a more narrow set of ranges within the test parameter. And to be considered to be more optimal. So for example, with protein status, it is six to 8.3 grams per milliliter or liter or something like that. But the ideal range that you would see that we want to see on the, on your lab is between seven and eight and the sweet spot really hovering around 7.4. So when I'm looking at protein status, I'm like, not only are you getting enough protein based on our you know, diet history recall, but also are you digesting and absorbing your proteins properly? So like there could be some gut stuff going on that's not allowing you to absorb your proteins. So therefore your protein status is low and that affects many things, not just your muscles. Yeah. So the other thing that we have to look for in ranges are based on that lab company's pool 
of what is seen in their testing population. So depending on where you live, the reference ranges may be different based on the factors of the individuals getting labs drawn at, say, a CPL here in Austin or a CPL in Ohio or New York. So that kind of makes things a little bit off when you're, so you have to always look at what are the reference ranges and then also know what you know about long-term reference ranges. So it's, so there's some nuances when I look at labs. Thank you for pointing that out. And I think it's also important to understand that, yeah, your doctor might, might just call you. I feel like you don't get a call unless there's something wrong. Yeah, right? right. So usually it's like no news is good news, but I still think it's worth understanding these numbers. And if your doctor does not have the time, which is normal that they don't have the time to go over mm-hmm. these with you, can you find a provider or somebody that can? So just want to put that out there. Yeah. So the first few labs we talk about are all the standard ones that you would get in your yearly checkup. And the first one is called a CBC or a complete blood count. And this is looking at your red and white blood cells and then the breakdown of those red and white blood cells. So you would see like RBC, hemoglobin, hematocrit, MC, HC, and so on and so forth. And then you would see things like your white blood cells, monocytes, neutrophils, leukocytes, et cetera. So Basically, what we're looking for is do you have enough red blood cells that are carrying around oxygen so you can breathe well and manage your carbon dioxide? Red blood cells basically are just carrying around oxygen and doing that exchange in the lungs between oxygen and carbon dioxide. So important. And then these red blood cell numbers, especially like hemoglobin and hematocrit, and then other components will give insights into your iron and B12 status. So we know based on how large the cell, the red blood cell may come out if it's actually deficient in something or if it, the color is off, which is one of the values that are listed, that there is some type of anemia going on. So we can look at statuses of anemia possibilities or um, just low low amounts in the CBC. Your red blood cells are made in the bone marrow. So if you have an RBC count that is too high or too low, it could give an indication of something else that is going on. Usually that is something that a doctor would notice and would contact you about and go to a hematologist. It's not something normally like myself, a dietitian that would be talking to you about that. Your white blood cells could give you clues to a current or chronic infection of and how well your immune system is doing overall. So oftentimes if white blood cells are on the low side, so for example, I think they go the normal values from like three to 10 and we like to see it between five and eight, quite frequently see like a three, eight or a four uh, white blood cells. And so it tells me that something's been kind of going on chronically that their body has been kind of fighting or if they're on medication that suppresses immune system. And then if we, and then I'll look further at neutrophils and lymphocytes and can it can point to either a chronic bacterial infection or viral or sometimes parasites you can see as well in in these lab functions. It's not like these low level ones would be showing that you're like dying from near death diarrhea and disease, but it can definitely have an impact on your daily health. Yeah. So those are numbers that can have an impact on the way that you feel daily. But I also Mm -hmm. want to point out that these numbers really have nothing to do with weight in either direction, correct? 
Sometimes, like often, but they can. So depending on what's going on, like if you have really high iron or you have these chronic low-level infections and you have inflammation going on, and so you potentially could be carrying around extra inflammation weight, but it's not necessarily like we're looking for weight status in this, but it could indicate why you might feel puffy or inflamed. Yeah. Okay. So the next other major one that you will see is the metabolic panel. And that's where you see like your electrolytes, like sodium, potassium, um, and chloride in there. So you'll see that protein and then glucose, you'll get your liver status with AST, ALT, and ALKFOS, and then your kidney status, which is your um, that creatine, which usually is a greater than represented on your on your labs, you'll see that. So to me, this panel is often underrated by several people because it really has some really good stuff in there to see, are you experiencing signs of electrolyte imbalance, which would determine how you feel? Are you having oxidative stress or overly acidic? Are you handling your carbs, which can be seen in the glucose and the liver test? Is your zinc status down? Like if ALKFOS is off, but your other liver numbers are right, it could be that you have some mineral losses, which would then impact how you're digesting your food. And then the other one we have is the cholesterol lab, which is everyone's like, it's high or my good cholesterol or it was not so great, but my bad cholesterol was okay. And so really we need to get to... The first thing you have to do is stop labeling cholesterol types as good and bad. They both have an important role in the body and we just want to know, are they doing it properly? So what we're looking at here is it will say the total, the HDL, the LDL, and the triglycerides. What people normally say is, oh, my HDL, my good cholesterol was okay or it was good. And my bad cholesterol, my LDL cholesterol was not so good and I need to do some work on it. Yes, they have been labeled this, but really it's not good or bad. So they all have functions, like I said. So LDL's cholesterol main job is to take cholesterol um, from the liver to the cell to make hormones, provide cell structure, and so on and so forth. HDL cholesterol takes what is left over from all that back to the liver and get repackaged and and potentially reused or get excreted from the body. So these numbers alone should not be used to put somebody on a statin medication. Some people have naturally high cholesterol that is not contributing to cardiovascular disease. Some people might just have higher cholesterol numbers, but you need to get an expanded cholesterol to test to see what your cholesterol is doing before you get on medications that can potentially not be good for you based on your genetics. It's the, it is a really simple test, this basic cholesterol panel, but it doesn't give you the full picture. If you even had normal cholesterol levels or elevated cholesterol numbers, it's not telling you the whole picture. So sometimes people can have HDL cholesterol that is high and they think that it's really good and look at all my good healthy cholesterol, but you might have heavy metal toxicity that from either your environment or from the amalgam teeth fillings. And so sometimes HDL rises in order to try to protect us from these things that are going on. And we just think, oh, look at all this good high cholesterol I have. And so 
It actually may not be the case. And then LDL cholesterol is not inherently bad. It's bad when it's oxidized, when we eat fats that are fried or not a good quality or so on and so forth. That causes a problem or it's creating inflammation and it's not functioning as intended. So it's bad when the majority of the particles the LDL and HDL are different sizes. And so when they are small and sticky and not big and bouncy, they are causing problems. And yes, LDL cholesterol and total cholesterol can be too low, just like it's not ideal to necessarily have an overly high or overly low HDL cholesterol. Like We really need to like get a better grasp on what our cholesterol is doing and why it is that way. So that doctors are still giving advice on diet that is at least outdated in the functional medicine world. Yeah. Where they're saying like, okay, your triglycerides are a little high. If your overall number is high, then they're either just prescribing drugs right off the bat or they're telling you, go home and go on your low fat diet and come back in three months. And we'll see if that affects it without any other guidance or (laughs) understanding of what's actually going on. I actually got that advice when I went for my, I I tried a new doctor Mm -hmm. and it was interesting because yeah, she did run my labs and she just kind of was, I know that my cholesterol can look a little bit higher with certain lifestyle shifts. Mm -hmm. But her advice is basically like, just go on a low fat diet. And I was like, that's not really how I usually get it to work, but I'll let you know. (laughs) As you mentioned, triglycerides. So that's the other important part of the standard cholesterol panel is triglycerides. And triglycerides are primarily the short-term storage of fat. So we can break them down between meals and convert them into energy. We also do use triglycerides to store fat for extended period times as well. But normally on the labs, it'll say anything less than 150 is good. But research is showing that when it gets over 85 fasting, it can be an early predictor for insulin resistance or signs of excess storage, certain sources of carbohydrates. And it can't, we can show that these fasting triglyceride levels can show signs of insulin or glucose problems long before we will actually see them in our glucose levels. So um, with that said, I don't want you to just like stop eating carbs. Like they're (laughs) important. We need them and balances and what is right for you and you know your lifestyle. But we really need to kind of take a look at all of it. And that the other thing is that make sure if you were fasted, so at least eight to 10 hours, that includes coffee. So water only before you get your test. Because if you were not fasted, then your triglycerides and your cholesterol numbers will be different and potentially some of your other numbers. So if you weren't fasted and your triglycerides are higher, then that's totally normal. We would just want to look at them again once you were fasted. And again, that includes coffee. So it does. It can have an impact on your labs. I just also want to add that you can't like look at somebody and determine their cholesterol by the size of their body either, right? So I think oh, there yeah. is this stigma that larger bodies tend to have higher cholesterol and that's not necessarily true. There's plenty of people who are actually very fit who might have higher cholesterol or overall cholesterol mm-hmm. that might need some adjustment. So just yeah. keeping that in mind that it's like, it's, it really is not necessarily correlative to your yeah. size. Yeah. 
So when I look at triglycerides, I also go and look at glucose and see, okay, what is the picture here? And then look at the other liver function tests and see like, okay, what might really be going on here? What do we need to be concerned about? It's looking at the whole picture of the labs and not just one individual marker and like being like, oh my God, this is so bad. You're falling apart. This is terrible. <laughs> it's like, let's look at the whole thing for patterns. So there was that. The next thing that you can look for that you get at your doctor that is helpful to know is your blood pressure. So it's not a lab. They do a little thing and I hate to say it, but most people do check your blood pressure wrong. So you have to kind of take it with a grain of salt. But in my experience, they don't actually ever tell you what your number is. It just will say, oh, it's really good or it's a little high or whatever. But anything that is below 125 over 85, or they will say it's good, but you actually can't have too low of blood pressure. You'd have to be like in these really low states. I went to get my annual physical recently. and I think it was like 108 over 65. And I was like, okay, I think there might be some, just some minor error here, but I was like, this is a little low, even for me. We really do want it over that 120 over 80. And so anything greater than 130 over 90 is considered high blood pressure. And so what blood pressure is, so find out what the number is, like ask them what it is. I always ask. Yeah. Don't just let them write it down and you not know. It's important to put it in perspective with these other things. And so blood pressure is the amount of pressure your heart creates to shoot the blood from the heart to the rest of the body and bring it back to the heart. That's it. It's pretty amazing. So if we have high blood pressure, the reason why it's a problem is because our blood vessels and those tiny little capillaries, they're soft and they're fragile to some degree. And so if we have excess pressure pushing on them, it can cause damage to these tiny little vessels and capillaries. So we don't want that. But also if it's too low, really don't want anything less than 110 over 70. Sometimes it depends on the person. You might start to feel cold in your extremities if you're consistently around 115. But they can start to be problematic because the blood may not be getting to the rest of the body in that same adequate amounts, including your brain. So you might have cold hands and feet or your nose uh, might feel a little cold. So remember, if your red blood cells are going through your blood to carry oxygen and you don't have enough blood pressure to send it out, you may not be feeling as alert as you could. Those are the four basic very basic tests that can give you a lot of information if you have somebody that's kind of looking at it for more than you're dying or you're not dying. Yeah. My, I used to ride pretty low on blood pressure and then two things happened. One, I had sinus surgery. So I think mm-hmm. that actually increased the level of oxygen that was flowing through my body. <laughs> I really had no idea I was missing out on. I mean, I think I was also probably like a lot more sedentary sitting at a desk more prior Mm -hmm. to having a child and that sort of thing. Yeah. I think sinus surgery was a huge shift in that area. And then, yeah, ever since having a child, I just, now my blood pressure is like totally, it's usually right at that 115, 120, but it used to be like, I could barely bat a hundred most often. And so people would ask like, are you, is your blood pressure normally low? And and so that's why I think it's also good to know your numbers and to keep looking at them because you'll learn more about your body. So mm-hmm. it's like, if you are consistently at like 110 or 108, but that's just normal for you, then that's okay. But 
if you are getting data back where it's like, oh, this number really rose in the last year or dropped in the last year, it's good to just be able to look at those bigger patterns as well. So I like to have all of my labs somewhere where I can access them and compare to older numbers. And you can also make notes like, how was I feeling this time versus that time? And it just, it's good to have these things. Yeah. I agree. Also recommend people, if you have seasonal allergies that are particularly bad at some time of year or another, I would prefer you to not get your your blood drawn at that time because your eosinophils might be off and then it can look like something that it's not. I always ask if eosinophils are are high. Um, Did you have a cold or allergies during this time? Because it can be that. I want to rule it out. I look at it for, I'm looking at it and it fills for a bigger picture of things. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the extras. So these are things that maybe a doctor is not going to necessarily order, but they probably will give to you if you ask. Yes. Okay. So the next thing that they will give you would be vitamin D. That's really common now. It didn't used to be common at all, but now it is. It is vital for your immune and bone health and can contribute to a lot of immune functions and pain and all sorts of stuff. Get this tested. If you're, there are some, there's some controversy about whether it's really helpful to do it. Some practitioners are like, I really just don't think that it's in the functional medicine world that's coming up that like testing vitamin D is not that helpful and it's just this thing. Anyways, but by and large, we find it to be pretty on target with how people are feeling. If you are not going outside and exposing large portions of non-sunscreen skin for 15 to 10, 15, 20 minutes between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. most days of the week, you are probably not getting enough vitamin D. So we need vitamin D. We get it naturally from the sun and there are a few foods where you can get it from, but it's not just your face or just like your forearm. Like it needs to be like your trunk or most of your leg or like most of your legs. And so it needs to be good chunks of your skin, not just your face and like one little arm. Also, if you live anywhere above the Texas panhandle, you will not get adequate vitamin D from sun exposure from October to April. It's just that's that there is no UVB rays during that time. We really need to supplement in the winter since we are not getting adequate sun, about two to 4,000 IUs a day. So get this tested. The other one is magnesium, very rarely ever checked, but it is the other important electrolyte. It's used in over 300 metabolic processes. We don't get enough of it from our natural food supplies. Please get this checked. That can be really helpful. To <laughs> I cannot a- live without my magnesium supplement. <laughs> And then the other one is, I know that in the CBC, we can get an idea of iron status, but it would be really, it actually is better if we can find out the full picture of getting your iron and your ferritin level checked because your iron total amount tells us what's in your checking account and seeing what's happening. And so it can be too low. It can also be too high. There's a genetic condition called hemochromatosis, or if it's high for another reason, it can be inflammatory marker. So it's not just about oxygen. So we need to find out if it's high, do you have hemochromatosis, which is most common in men, very rare in women, or is there inflammation going on? So we need to like look at these things as well. And then I also think about ferritin is to find out what's in your savings account. Like what do you have in reserve? So you can have a decent iron level, but your ferritin can be really low, which means 
that there still is like a little bit of a deficit and we need to kind of build those reserves. So we're not just only using what you're taking in. Which is really important to know this before you supplement with any iron, right? Correct. Because iron iron can be... We do not want to supplement with iron if we do not need to because too much iron is inflammatory. It is a nice balance, just like blood sugar. If we try to, our body tries to keep blood sugar in balance, same thing with iron, all these other things, it can become inflammatory and cause problems. We don't want to just take iron just because. Yeah, so we need iron but we also don't want to take it just because. You might feel tired can be that, some brain fog. Some of those things can be because of low iron, lower iron status. Your thyroid can be affected by it. I know when my son was growing very rapidly, his blood volume wasn't kind of keeping up with his growth, it seemed like. We couldn't quite figure out why, but he became really anemic and his hair started falling out and stuff. Like there it definitely is problematic. And then I always will look, ask for vitamin B12. So it can either be B12, which we can see in CBC, but I like to see it more clearly. Or there's a thing called methylmalonic acid, which really gives us a better idea of B12 status, but it is very vital for our nerve cells and a lot the, the nerve cells that are the messenger highways in our bodies. B12, you can, might see low energy, you might experience numbness and, ting- and tingling, and if it goes on long enough, can cause dementia. B12 is found only in animal sources. If you are vegetarian or vegan, you need to get a high-quality B12 supplement. And then we do have a large storage capacity for B12. So if you do eat meat, you don't have to eat a lot of it to get what you need. But B12 absorption is dependent on your stomach acid getting low enough for absorption. So there are people that might have medication or infections that they don't absorb it properly because it starts in the, starts with one component in the stomach and then carried down to the lower part of the small intestine to actually get absorbed. So there has to be multiple factors going on there to get B12 absorbed properly. So you could be eating adequate B12, but something is causing absorption issues and you're not actually getting it. Is that why you think people feel better with like B12 shot injections because it just bypasses the need for your gut to absorb it? So it's just like a guaranteed intake. Yeah. And then the other thing about B12 too, is that there are genetic SNPs where you have higher needs for it. And then the final one that I recommend people get is either HSCRP or CRP. So HS, which is highly sensitive CRP, is more related to cardiac, but not all, not necessarily just cardiac. Or CRP is more of a general inflammatory marker, or you can get SED rate done as well. So we want to see if there's any inflammation going on. And so I like to just have an idea. But there are some people like cholesterol that you produce, you might have a naturally higher CRP. So it's pretty, it's, it's a lower amount, but it is possible. So I'll always like to see, check one of these really easy inflammation markers, either CRP or set rate. Awesome. And there's actually one thing that's not on here that we usually do talk to a lot of people about, which is thyroid. What do you like, who should ask for that? Or should we all... It's for some doctors will just include it. Some, yeah. So thyroid is tricky because you might have a um, autoimmune condition going on, Hashimoto's or Graves. Sometimes the autoimmunity is happening before you can see it in your TSH. 
So things I look out for people to get thyroid tested, are they really tired? Is their hair fall out easily? Particularly looking at overall hair on your head, the outer thirds of your eyebrows, skin stuff. The fatigue is really, or really anxious if it's going hyper, but most people are hypo, so low thyroid function. And then difficulty losing weight or gaining weight if it's hyper. So yeah, I, I like for people to just look at thyroid because a lot of people will be like, I'm just having, I'm trying everything. And I'm like, well, let's just rule it out. Especially if there's been something stressful going on or they've had a child recently because it can kickstart a thyroid. It's, it's a common time after big hormone swings to have something go awry in your thyroid. So I ask for a full thyroid panel, TSH, T4, T3, because are we converting enough T4 to T3, which is the active form, and for safe measure, which is really hard to get, the antibodies. Amazing. So do you think once a year is enough? That's about the, yes. the need for, for... standard, yeah. There's sometimes when we're trying to monitor something that I ask for more, but once a year is good enough unless you feel like something has changed in how you feel or has gone on in your life or your body. Awesome. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much for that thorough discussion on labs. If you guys have not gotten your labs, go get them and we wish you luck with it. Each week we keep our eyes peeled for things in the media or in real life that come from diet culture or that perpetuate diet culture in some way. These are often the subtle ways it creeps in which is why we're shining a light on it and sharing it with you. Now, Beth, I, Beth sent me a text of an image. <laughs> Her algorithm is in full diet culture glory. I have so many that we can talk about, but this one I wanted to talk about today. It happened last night. I got it. I was doing my evening scroll and it was a video about a woman who lost all this weight through this device you put on your legs and it causes you to shake and potentially contract muscles without doing anything. And it went, it was a really long, elaborate video. And so anyways, so it was explaining how this muscle shaking will increase your body temperature and burn um, fat. And one of the pictures was in the video was showing her running on a treadmill with a sad face or on a bicycle, like a Peloton type thing with a sad face. But she had on these little um, devices on her legs, sitting on the couch, reading a book and was happy because then she could be moving that way. And then after not moving, <laughs> not moving, sorry, but she was moving through the device, uh, moving, right. potentially moving her thing. So I know we've all seen a version of this. Like there was that thing that you could put on your abs and it was like doing a thousand sit-ups in 20 minutes or something like that. I think of that shaker thing from like Maybe it was the 40s or 50s where you would stand yeah. and it would just like rumble you. Uh, yeah, with a little towel around <laughs> yeah. your butt. Yeah, so there's so many variants of this. This one was really a very long one video. And it's just as like, I get it, guys. But like, think about exercise not just as a, a, a means to an end of yes. a week. Like, think of it as like how you feel when you do something that you enjoy and the mental 
health benefits that you get out of it and just the the need for humans. We need to move. And if walking is your thing, then walking is your thing. Running doesn't have to be your thing. Pelotons don't have to be your thing. It can be dancing. It can be gentle. It can be gentle. It does not have to be training all the time or ever. Like it's okay (laughs) to do these mental things. You just need to do enough to keep good cardiovascular fitness and some weight strength in your upper and lower bodies. So as you age, you can be able to support yourself getting up off the floor or in and out of a chair. Like these are the things that we're moving towards, not towards bodybuilding all the time. This level that what this advertisement is like, it looks like leg braces. It does look like leg braces. It's like, yeah. To me, there's no shortcuts unless maybe you can't move your legs, right? Like this looks like something you would do maybe in a physical therapist office for somebody who needs some kind of muscular stimulation or circulation mm. stimulation who cannot move. Oh yeah. And so I want to think about that. It's like we actually, if if you are able, if you do have a body that can move in this way, like remembering like this is actually a good thing. <laughs> we don't we don't have to take shortcuts. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I didn't think about that, but yeah, it would be really, some of these things could be useful and other things, not just trying to see how little we can. Yeah. Cause the way that the ad is prefaced is like, Oh, exercise sucks. She's obviously sad doing exercise, but now she's happy sitting down with our leg braces. (laughs) Yeah. And then I think at the end she lost 35 pounds at the end of it all, which is such a funny and their graphics because you can draw essentially whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And the way that they kind of showed, she's looking in the mirror and you can tell that's like her before because she just has a very slight circular roundness to her midsection. And then it's just kind of shaved off on the after. But everything else about her is exactly the same. <laughs> right, because it's a really over-exaggerated cartoon. Like the, the body proportions of the legs is like, it's very cartoonish. So silliness. So we just share this with you because we know it can be tempting to take shortcuts (laughs) to not have to do any work. If we can reframe it as like, it's actually feels good to move and that we don't have to rely on these shortcuts and you don't have to invest even money. You can walking is free. Maybe that's all we need. Yeah. Save some money. I sure hope that we gave you something new to think about today and helped you take one more step on your path to freeing yourself from diet culture. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast. Follow us on Instagram at path underscore nutrition. If you are a future client looking to connect with us, please go to our website at pathnutrition.com. And otherwise we will see you in a couple weeks. Bye. Bye.